Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. Feels really, really good to be back. Uh, I do want to apologize for my absence. I've been tied down with a few things, including finals and just taking some time off and getting ready for my internship at ConocoPhillips, which actually starts this upcoming Monday. Um, I'm going to be within their finance team, so I'm actually really excited about that and hoping to learn some things that I can actually apply to this podcast and really wanting to broaden my perspective on the industry while I'm there because you can only get so much by just reading about it online. I want some actually in it. I'm really hoping to to gain that perspective there. So real quick, um, we're going to do a little rundown of where oil prices are at. I'm not going to touch on all of the indicators that I normally would. I just want to talk about where things have been um, just because I've been gone for a little while now. Next week, I'll pick up back uh, with the indicators and where I think the oil is heading. So after that, I will then talk about um, pretty big news story talking about the colonial pipeline hacking. Um, so that'll be really interesting. So WTI is currently at $63 per barrel and some change. And that's kind of the bit, the big range that we've been seeing, you know, plus or minus a couple of dollars really hasn't gone too far above that, like $66, $67 price range and really not much below the $59 price range for almost two months now. Um, but since our last episode, we have seen some turbulence along the way. Um, one of the biggest things that I could think of is positive vaccine news out of the U.S. and COVID and all those things, and also really negative news out of India and South America. So through the lens of OPEC here, and I just felt like that was the best way to really encompass what's been going on uh, over the past two weeks. So they have they release reports all the time. There's news covering them 24-7 basically. And they remain pretty optimistic about vaccinations and where global oil demand is heading. They're actually expected to increase this year, um, this has remained a similar story for around two months now, where OPEC and other energy uh, market participants are optimistic about where things are heading. Um, they expect increasing global oil demand as the vaccine or the um, coronavirus ebbs out of the out of our lives, which is obviously a good thing. But many things do center around how much oil demand is going to come back. Um, will or, or the more that we've gone into this recovery, so to speak, of coming out of coronavirus, I was pretty shocked at how not unilateral it has been. I mean, take the U.S., for example. Um, I mean, here in College Station, masks are worn, less and less business activities, returning to higher capacity and all of those things, um, as opposed to a country like India, for example, um, where there's, you know, for almost like a couple of weeks, uh, up until about last week or so, there was always news coming out where they're running out of oxygen, not enough mass, all these things. Um, even look at what's going on over in Syria, um, and even Israel right now, it's a huge, uh, geopolitical sort of battleground at the moment. Um, so things aren't looking as, uh, as uniform as I would have expected, which obviously isn't really a good thing in regards to the show. It isn't really a good thing. Um, for oil demand, because I imagine it'll probably be roughly two years, one one to two years um, of where certain parts of the world are doing well. But again, how will that impact international travel, international business travel? 
Uh, I'm not sure how much international business travel like from the U.S. to India looks like, but I'm sure it's pretty substantial considering of like where that economy is kind of heading over over the long term. So um, back to OPEC. So OPEC has raised their expected demand forecast for the second half of the year. Definitely a good thing here. Um, and for us in the West and over in the U.S., the speed of the vaccinations has allowed many things to return to normal. And again, because of that and because business activity is picking up again, it's raising the boats for everybody, but especially the oil and gas industry. Because again, oil is in everything. It's not just the gasoline that you fill up at Valero down the street. I have a Valero down the street, so I use that example. Um, so really economic activity really will be good for the oil and gas industry. Everybody, of course, um, but specifically the oil and gas industry. Um, touching on something that's not really new news. I've actually talked about it before, but OPEC had that agreement where they're going to boost output for or up, up to 2 million barrels per day over the May, uh, June, and July timeframe. And again, I always have a hard time of dissecting whether news out of OPEC is bullish or bearish for where the oil market is heading. And really when, when I'm discussing the oil market, I mean the price of oil, what that looks like for U.S. oil and gas producers, consumers, uh, refiners, all those things. So that's really what I mean by, by the oil market. Of course, oil market's global, so you can't really discount that fact. But because they're sticking with this 2 million barrel per day um, increase in production, it does reflect a lot of confidence about where things are heading. And again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here, but everything I've talked about, the vaccinations, all of those things, um, things are looking a little rosy, um, which is obviously a good thing. So now a little bit more of a geopolitical issue. You have Iran uh, and the U.S. in sort of off and on talks regarding the uh, nuclear accord in, re- in regards to their, their uh, uranium enrichment. Um, so that, so Donald Tr- uh, President Trump pulled out of that accord at some point within his presidency, and now there's a big push by the Biden administration to get back into it. I honestly do not know enough about the accord to say whether it's a good or bad thing that we're trying to get back into it, but that's not really the point of the show here. So what I'm really discussing is that, um, Iran, so there's many sanctions that the U S has placed on Iran because of the nuclear accord and also us pulling out of the nuclear accord, um, which led them to try and maybe get attention using, using, uh, uranium enrichment, all of those things. Their actual oil output has increased, um, to 2.4 million barrels per day. And, and they, Iran is also in, uh, OPEC, which is interesting because like for a little while there was something where they weren't necessarily abiding to their agreements with OPEC and, and that sort of thing. And then China came in over the past couple months and made a long-term contract with them, with Iran, so China and Iran here, um, to make investments in, in Iran and, and all those kinds of things um, in re- return for a longer steady supply of oil and oil products. Um, this has provided Iran with a lot of leverage in those talks with the U.S. because now China confronting the U.S. in every part of the world is using that as leverage for Iran to where now Iran isn't just solely dependent on the U.S. They also have the number two um, country in the world in regards to economic output and, and all of those things. Um, helping them, right? So now this almost presents a whole nother shift to where countries are going to have to decide whether they want to go with the U.S. or China, 
right? And and of course, I am pro-U.S. Um, and, you know, for the rest of my life. But that is something that'll be really interesting to see, on, especially as regards to uh, energy policy on, on where countries are heading, um, because China again very reliant on, on coal, um, coal consumption, and then. You have the U.S. making a lot of pushes towards renewables, and again, we're still going to use oil and gas for so many years to come. Um, but the China, China is scoring off with the U.S. in virtually every part of the world. I mean, basically everything you could think of. We're not at war technically with China, but we don't have boots on the ground. Is what I mean by that. But and from cybersecurity to infrastructure to trade, and now oil, um, this will be a really interesting story or or news line that's going to play out and um i want to stay optimistic on it but we'll see so in regards to u.s oil production um it's actually expected to drop this year um and over basically since the beginning of this of this year of 2021 i almost every week was giving out uh or talking about how uh rig counts were increasing and increasing over time um but so I was surprised to see that it's actually expected to drop this year. But this is really can be explained by a couple things. So the first one of these I've talked about on the show before is um, the motto that oil and gas producers have had for some time that really had to stop once the coronavirus took over the world. Um, and it's really this motto centers around increasing production at whatever whatever cost it may be. Um, and that is certainly behind us, right? Like we're not going to continue to leverage up and leverage up, meaning take on more and more debt to drill more, um, or for, for more oil. Right. And with, even with prices increasing back from negative territory, negative territory in April of 2020 to the $63 range. Now that I just talked about, I don't really see producers all of a sudden throwing caution to the wind and saying, you know what, let's just go ahead and start producing as much as we can. And yeah, that is their business model is to produce oil and that's how they make their money, especially like the upstream producers, the people that are like drilling and producing oil and gas. Um, but there's a lot of shareholder pressure for returns, right? And if you're highly leveraged and everyone else is making the same amount of money as you, I mean, you really can't outperform your peers there. Um, so you combine that development with lower capital expenditures on the side of these oil and gas companies and not i mean it hasn't hit the floor right but you combine like the lower capital expenditures that really goes hand in hand with with not drilling at all costs right and then you throw in the texas freeze on there i know there's a lot of effect on refineries and just sort of almost a dead period in oil and gas production and consumption um what a mess that was but um it Oil production in the U.S. and Texas isn't necessarily expected to explode this year, although who really knows, right? I mean, I'm I'm here, I'm talking on the podcast, and, and I like to think that I know what's going on in the industry, and, and many market, market, participants, market participants know way more than me. Um, but it's hard to see oil companies sitting on their hands if we see oil continue to rise, which we haven't really seen it continue to rise and rise and rise. But if we get to above a level of, say, $67, $68 per barrel, maybe over 70 and we sit there for a little while, it's going to be really hard for U.S. oil companies to say no to that. It's like putting a piece of candy in front of a, a, a kid and then and then telling him and, and then he eats it. Right. And then it's oh, you can't really be mad at the kid. Um, and 
if that happens, though, I would expect a lot of actions coming out of OPEC um, to really maintain harmony. I'm sure that they would increase production and all the things are really trying to bring that back down. So getting pretty detailed here, but now I want to shift over a little bit more, still covering around the uh, around the topic of oil prices. Um, big news story this week was about the consumer price index uh, rising by, I believe it was like something over, over 2%. Um, and if you compare month to month basis, it was only a 0.8% increase um, from um, the month before. So this is March comparing to April because um, we're still in the month of May right now. Um, and a bulk of that actual increase came from auto sales or uh, used auto sales and then um, gasoline increasing in price and energy products increasing in price. And that's just expected with how things are trending right now. Um, so there's, there's a lot of concern about that in the general market. I mean, this, this week there was a lot of selling off uh, of, of big tech, tech stocks and just the overall market itself. And you combine that with how much government stimulus that we've seen out of the Federal Reserve and then also, um, you know, the executive branch in Congress, right? You combine all of those and then you see worries in the market about about inflation. And rightfully so, right? I mean, it's low inflation isn't necessarily guaranteed, right? I mean, I've grown up with it my whole life. Inflation hovering above or below 2%. Um, but that's not necessarily the guarantee. So there's been a bunch of articles in the Wall Street Journal. If you have a subscription, I would encourage you to go check out a few of those because they explain it better than I really ever could. Um, but you combine um, that inflation concern and we could be in a new normal now. I know new normal is being overused pretty blatantly, but um, could be in a new normal where inflation is higher and runs higher for some time. Um so coming into the context of oil, right? So oil could be used or is used as a hedge against inflation. Um, so commodities in general do outperform other asset classes whenever inflation is high. So if we see this news story and this domino effect to continue to play out over the summer, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of speculative, speculative bets on oil price futures um, on the side of, of hedge funds, investment company, all those things, um, all those investment vehicles, um, for oil, or I saw an article about 10, uh, TIN increasing, um, in price by quite a bit, or those kinds of things, right? And lumber's doubled this year, all of those things. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, and again, like I just spoke on, if we see oil continue to go up and up and up, even if it's because of, speculative bets which can which do certainly move markets um producers will probably come back into the market and increase oil production which again isn't necessarily a bad thing right that's jobs it's american jobs that that is a good thing um but again i'd hate to see the cycle again of drilling and and laying off people and that just being a really vicious cycle especially as as it's a very delicate situation that we're in right now considering that people have just gone through a lot um, in every regard to their life, family, socially, all of those things, um, including their employment. So I would, I would hate to see obviously people get laid off. Um, so anyways, shifting gear a little bit more, uh, gears a little bit more to the news story that I'm going to be covering. Uh, so about a week ago, um, colonial pipeline. So big pipeline that covers ranging from the Gulf coast all the way to, believe it was New York or Connecticut or something along those lines. But the Colonial Pipeline was hit with a ransomware attack 
by a criminal cyber group called Darkside. D-A-R-K-S-I-D-E. So there's speculation that this group has links to Russia. Um, I believe they're in close proximity to Russia or they're inside their border or something like that. Of course, Russia declined that they were a part of this, but I honestly could not be, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, so the, for those that don't know what a ransomware attack is, basically what a ransomware attack is, I don't know the logistics of how they do it, but basically they steal code or data or sensitive matter contracts, those kinds of things from a company. And then they make that company or hospital or school, um, or government agency pay them a certain amount of money to give that code or the, whatever they stole back to them. And if they don't do that, then they'll go on the dark web and then sell it. Right. So in the case of colonial pipeline, maybe they have some really important, highly secretive contracts or technology about how they operate, and they will, you know, make make Colonial pay them or they're going to sell it on the dark web or something along those lines. I don't know the details of how that's actually played out. I'm sure that's very close guarded um, because this has really turned into a, a national security concern. Uh, but this attack did shut down Colonial's uh, 5,500 miles of pipeline that actually fuel uh, quite a bit of homes and, and cars and all of those things. Um, so what the attack did... This ransomware attack had infected computer networks um, of this company. And I'm sure they had some cybersecurity measures in place to where they saw this happening. And they just shut everything down. And now they're trying to you know, run through the systems to get everything worked out. But it, what it didn't do is it didn't attack their control systems to actually control the flow and, and, and movement of the other oil and oil products. Um, that would have been actually much, much worse if they did. Because, I mean, I don't know how that would work, but maybe they could, you know, rush the oil you know at a faster pace than normal and it could blow up pipelines i mean i don't really know what that would look like but that would cause a lot more long-lasting effects on the u.s energy energy supply needs and then you combine this with how people acted because of how this played out um like consumers like you and i um it caused quite a panic especially on the east coast um thinking about the beginnings of COVID and that whole toilet paper thing that happened or, or hurricanes for, I'm from Houston, so hurricanes where HEB shelves are cleared, long, long lines were started to form at gas stations in some parts of the country. And you really start to see the worst in people because of this, um, which is obviously unfortunate. Um, but there was some actual panic regarding their gasoline supply. People wouldn't have gas to fuel their homes or, or not their homes, their, their cars, but if they had a generator in their home to fuel their homes. Um, so Colonial actually ended up announcing that they will resume operations soon. Pretty vague, but I mean, with this kind of dynamic situation, that makes sense. Uh, things will ultimately return to normal for them. So you're probably asking, okay, great, pipeline got hacked. So why am I talking about it? So why I'm talking about it is is the U.S. energy energy industry does lack in cybersecurity protections. Um, there's virtually no oversight body with the ability to actually really enforce industry standards regarding cybersecurity. So a little quote from the article that I want to read to you. Quote, follows warnings by U.S. officials in recent months of the danger of cyber attacks against privately held infrastructure. It also highlights the need for additional protections to help shield the oil and gas companies that power much of the country's economic activities, cyber, uh, cyber experts, and lawmakers say. So, I mean, that basically explained itself, but it's just it highlights that we need something to happen, something to change as far as cybersecurity and protection for the industry. So in some ways, 
I am actually happy that this happened. Don't take that out of context. I'm not happy that companies and people's lives are affected. But in a lot of ways, I am happy about it in the sense that it brought to the forefront of the news cycle and people's psyche of how important the industry, the energy industry is to make our life possible and how quickly it could be taken away, right? And how the U.S. government and oil companies must take measures to protect it, Um and this really goes for anything, right? I mean, whenever a hurricane hits the the coast, there's a big outcry for something to happen within FEMA or or new protections like the Galveston Seawall and those kinds of things. So this is expected, um, but I'm I'm really happy that it really touched a spot that honestly I didn't really know lacked in the energy industry. I just kind of assumed that 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 was happening. But whenever you don't have a lot of public support going your way. Um, and margins are so thin at oil and gas companies at times, then it's really hard to make massive, massive investments into cybersecurity. Like something that you just hasn't, maybe it hasn't happened, but you just got to be ready for. Um, I mean, hypothetically, if, if there was a massive cyber attack across the U.S., think about the Texas freeze, for example, right? I mean, I mean, that was, that caused a lot of problems for a lot of people and companies went bankrupt and people's lives, people died, all of those things. And, and I'm not saying this is, this is scare anyone, but, if something like this was to happen on a much broader scale and it was to get into those control systems or something that was a little bit more permanent, um, that would be very, very bad. So this is, again, calling for more more changes and, and probably we're going to see a lot of investment by oil and gas companies, energy companies in general towards cybersecurity. And another thing, too, is if we get going with renewables and, and, and uh, su- sustainable fuel sources um, that technology, you know, carbon capture, I'm sure gets pretty proprietary, meaning that like it's hard to make um, really important for companies to to have it and protect it for, for them to hold on to it. So they will probably invest a lot more into cybersecurity uh, defense systems, so to speak, um, to, you know, be sure they don't get attacked and they don't lose their, their business model, right? Um, so now, I mean, you really can't turn on the news once and not see a senator waiting to or wanting to push for renewables, and that's great and all, but it will get them more votes. But but our immediate energy security should be and must be a national security concern. I think this really did a really good job of bringing that to the forefront. Again, not excited that this happened or happy about it, but it is a good thing that this is being brought to people's attention. So. That is all that I have um, for us today on the show. As always, I will put the links in the show notes for the reference articles and a few more that I'd encourage you to check out, especially the Wall Street Journal article talking about the hacking because it's a serious news story right now and it's captured a lot of attention. So there's always a story that really captures attention for a little while and things kind of build on it and this is the one right now. So I hope that you have a great weekend and I will see you all next week.